Welcome to Christian Life Academy. We are working our way through the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, and we are in Chapter 2, which is of God and the Holy Trinity. And uh, we're working through Paragraph 1, which is uh, a very uh, full, maybe, uh, I don't know if I would say robust, but I would say concise uh, summary of who God is and uh, what he is and uh, you know, even some of the subsequent paragraphs are uh, not quite, the, this is really the defining paragraph. The rest of the paragraphs are really just uh, clarifications on some issues. Uh, but this paragraph is the one who really defines who God is. So we're working through uh, some of these first statements that are in there, uh, in that paragraph. And uh, we work through, um, and the first section of it talks about the attributes of God. And so we covered uh, his singularity, his independence, uh, his incomprehensibility, uh, which is the mystery of God, his, that he is a spirit we covered, and we covered he is infinite, then we covered he is sovereign, and uh, now we are moving on today to the next of the attributes, which is that God is immense. So, uh, you know, I, I think every one of these characteristics of God we know, like we've heard it, before. Um, we have a clue that that is true about God. Um, but our ability to grasp the concepts fully is, as we've said several weeks now, limited by our finite minds and our understanding, which is obviously limited compared to God. Uh, and so that is also true when we talk about the fact that God is immense. So uh, God's immensity, immensity cannot be measured as God is omnipresent. That is, that he is in all places at all times. He transcends our universe and our physical reality. So, last week I mentioned the idea, and we want to make sure that we don't go down the wrong path to think that God is in everything. So, in other words, God is not in the table. He is not in the floor. He is not in the pew. He is not in the physical things. That's pantheism. And that's basically creation is God. Uh, In other words, that God is actually just creation, and so you, have you heard of some, maybe some popular movies for the last uh, 40 years, that uh, 50 years now, that actually get onto that concept? Anybody? What, what? May the force be with you. Yes, that's it. Star Wars, the force is pantheonism. The force is in all things. Now, they just draw a distinction. They say the force is in all living things. Uh, but that is pantheism. God is not in all things. God is everywhere. So you say, well, if God's everywhere, then isn't he in that table? Kind of? Not really. <laughs> in other words, God isn't captured because he is, not, he is not atomic in nature. He does not have atoms. He, that kind of sounded weird when I said it. <laughs> He's not a nuke. No, I don't mean that. I mean that God does not have uh, atoms. He, he is not the same substance as our creation and our reality. So for us to picture God as being in a table... It, that is a little bit of a difficult concept for us to get our arms around and understand the distinction between the fact that God is, in a way, in that table, but he is yet not in that table. Does that make any sense? In other words, the fact that he is everywhere, it is easier for us to understand that and not get drawn into pantheism if we view it the, like the fact that he's in the room with us. Do you understand what I mean? But it even goes, of course, beyond that, because he knows what you're thinking. He sees your thoughts. He knows what you see. He knows what you hear. He knows all those things. Is he in your body? 
experiencing those things. No, that would be pantheism. He is not in your body experiencing the feelings, the emotions, and everything else that you experience. He is everywhere as in his presence, but it is in a different plane of reality. It's a different plane of reality. So last week we talked about the fact that, uh, well, we talked a little bit about the spirit, the concept of spirit. That kind of took us in a little bit talking about time. But the same concept applies to how immense he is, the fact that he is everywhere. So he's not just in heaven observing what is happening everywhere. There is a distinction there between he is like looking at a TV screen, watching history at the same time. Let's not go down that path again. Uh, But he's not like watching it on a screen. He's not just like standing back from afar and seeing what has happened. He is amongst us. He sees it all firsthand. He knows exactly what's happening. His presence is real, whether you feel it or not. His presence is real, whether you feel it or not. Although the entire universe cannot contain him, God fills every moment of time and every atom of space with his being. Oh, now that's weird, right? So, again, let's not get too confused about this whole concept of uh, God being in every atom. It is true he's in every atom because he is in everything. He is everywhere simultaneously, but he is not in the same plane that we are. He is not physically present in the atom. They're not going to discover at some point when they get an even finer microscope or you know, a more, more powerful microscope that they can go inside further into an electron or further into a neutron or further into a proton, and they're going to say, oh, there's God. That's not going to happen because he is in a different plane of existence, just like the idea that he is spirit. So he exists simultaneously in the same space that we do. Now this brings up big questions, questions that we don't have the answer to. And there has been lots of commentators for the last 2,000 years who have commented on these things and suggested what they believe could be true. But here is the question, where is heaven? Where is hell? Is it outside of the universe, beyond the universe? When you're transported at the moment of death to either heaven or to hell, are you going beyond the universe? instantaneously you're beyond outside of the universe or are you actually right where you're at but now you're in heaven or now you're in hell oh they say well i don't think that could be true because i know a story from the bible huh what story is that well it's the story of lazarus and the rich man remember this story yeah lazarus is talking to who I'm saying the right name, right? I'm not mistaken on this. His name is Lazarus. He's walking along. Talking to who? Abraham. That's right. He's talking to Abraham. And the rich man whose table he begged at is across the gulf in hell. In torment is what it says. In torment. He sees him. They converse. Remember this? They converse. How is that possible? Unless there is literally heaven and a gulf, some kind of space in between, right? That sounds like a chasm, right? And then hell. Well, again, we're thinking about it in finite minds. The only way that that could be described in Scripture in a way that we, we could understand it is the way that it's described in Scripture. For it to be explained in a concept of 
multiple planes of existence simultaneously in the same space at the same time is beyond our reasoning. It is much easier for us to keep them separated as far as our understanding goes. Right? True. So, where is heaven? Is it here amongst us? Is it in the sky? Is it by the moon? <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that we don't know. That's the truth. We don't know. Now we see lots of references, right? Going down into Hades, right? We see this in the scripture. But again, those are always references to death. Going into the grave. Where is the grave? In the ground, right? We see this. And we see the Old Testament. The angels climbing up and down a ladder, right? Is that because heaven was right there in the sky? We don't know. We don't know. It's not explained in the scripture. And honestly, you could see, I mean, we've, in many cases, you can, you can believe, and I believe this is true, that we have moved beyond um, where the people of the New Testament were in our understanding of the concepts of space and time. Do we fully grasp it? No. But we do understand some things that they did not understand, right? We do understand those things. Now, how do you explain it simple enough so that everyone throughout the whole time of the Scripture understands these concepts? You use human terms. Use human terms, right? So that's what we see. But it's very possible that right now, if you were given a view of the other plane of existence, you might simultaneously see heaven and you might also see hell. You might. Will that be the case for all eternity? No. Why? Where will we live for all eternity? Where? Huh? New heaven and earth. That's where we will live. We will live in a place that's described currently more like our physical understanding. And we'll be reunited with our bodies, by the way. It's not just going to be a spirit for eternity. You're going to be reunited with your glorified body. You will exist in a place where your glorified body will exist as Christ does today. So, how does that work, that you actually have a physical body in a place that's on a different plane? I don't know. I don't know. I just know it's true. Right? How do I know it's true? The Bible says it's true. That's how I know. Look, I totally get it. It is really easy, any difficult concept that we come across, to say, well, the Bible says it, that's all there is to it. True? Is that true? That is really easy to say. The problem is, is that our understanding of the Scripture is not perfect. Our individual understanding of the Scripture is not perfect. So, what we don't want to do is get hung up on things too much. Like, where exactly is heaven? Should we spend our whole life focusing on this? No. Focusing on the wrong thing. What should we be doing? Obeying God. Living as he told us to live. Sharing the gospel. Making disciples. Honoring him. Living as he taught. Right? This is what we should be doing not trying to figure out these concepts that are beyond us. And if we needed to know them, God would tell us in his word. He hasn't. We get hints. How do we, what do those mean? Well, we can postulate. We can come up with ideas. But it's beyond us. It's beyond us. So the, the metaphysical realm, which is what we're talking about, by the way, it's a term that we have come up with, not the church, 
but man has come up with metaphysical. I should look that up and see who actually first coined that phrase. It has to be Greek, but at any rate, metaphysical versus physical. Physical is what you see. It's where we're at. It's our physical bodies. It's all the physical creation. Metaphysical is spiritual. Metaphysical is spiritual. Now, we refer to spiritual as spiritual, right? I mean, we don't talk, you know, you don't hear us, you know, teaching or preaching and saying, you know, we need to look at things in a metaphysical way. You know, we, don't, we say spiritual way, right? But look, the world knows, vast majority of people know there is metaphysical. There is something else besides our physical. Something else. Which is what makes them wonder, what, what is, happens after death? Because there is a sense that the metaphysical, the spirit, is something different. That your spirit is not directly linked to your physical body. By the way, your spirit is affected by your physical body. It doesn't always react the same to your physical body. Interesting, right? Somebody can be badly, badly injured and still have a good spirit. How does that possibly happen? Like if it's linked to their physical body, shouldn't they have a bad spirit too? But they don't. Why? There is something distinct about the medical. Well, they just have a positive attitude. (laughs) Okay, where is that? Is that in their beaten body? metaphysical. So when you hear somebody talk about metaphysical things or in the metaphysical, they're actually acknowledging that there is spirit. There's something beyond us. This is good. This is an opening. Yeah. You, look, you can easily say to someone, if you have a conversation with someone and they mention the metaphysical, well, you know, what, what do you, well, I, I, uh, I'm interested in metaphysical things. I've had that conversation before. Somebody says, uh, I say, what, you know, what are you, what's your interest? Well, I'm trying to study the metaphysical. Really? You're studying the metaphysical? Yeah, that's interesting because I study the metaphysical too. Oh, really? Who have you read? And then that leads you down a conversation, right? So uh, I can say, well, I've read Peter, Paul. I've read, right? You go, well, no, no, you're talking about, you know, the Bible. Yeah, they all speak to the Spirit. I mean, do you believe there's demons and angels? Most people, metaphysical, that go down the metaphysical path will say, yeah, I do. Ho, ho, ho. Now you got an opening. Really? Where did they come from? Who's in charge? What are they doing? How do they exist? Do you have any answers? Well, there's people that have defined it. Really, do they know? Let's talk about that. Right? Man has a spirit. You have a spirit. What's going to happen when you die? Where's that spirit going to go? That's metaphysical. And that's the true answer of what they're looking for. Oh, it's interesting to think about angels and demons. We see lots of movies with these things, don't we? This acknowledgement that there is some evil force existing and trying to explain what that evil force is doing. You know, fictional movies I'm talking about, right? You do see this. Why? Because people are interested in this. That's why they make the movies, because people will watch the movies. They can make money on the movies. They do this because people are interested. Obviously, some very popular books by authors who wrote bad things that were inaccurate things and untruthful things in their book have been written about demons and angels. Why? So they can sell books. I mean, let's let's be clear. And in many cases, it's so that they can try to discredit Christianity. Offer an alternative explanation. But this all points out the fact that man has this interest in the metaphysical. People have this, they may not call it the metaphysical, they may not call it spiritual, 
but they do have an interest. And you know, of course, this comes really home when they lose somebody close to them, when somebody close to them dies. All of a sudden, that metaphysical interest is renewed. That medical interest is renewed, metaphysical interest. So we can remember that this is because we don't understand what's happening. Look, most people do not concentrate on the fact that there are atoms in everything, and those things are moving like crazy. They're vibrating and everything. Do you spend any time thinking about that? I don't spend any time thinking about it. In fact, I bet you if you ask people if they think about that, you would never find anybody who says, I think about that all the time. No. Why? Because it's been explained, they understand, and they either care or they don't care, and they move on. But the spiritual is not fully understood. So they're interested. They're interested. So we talk about this plane of existence that is different from our own plane of existence. This is completely a scriptural concept. We cannot physically see heaven or hell right now. We cannot see God. We cannot see angels and demons. Do they exist? We know they do. Why? God's word. Plus there's evidence. There's evidence. Well, yeah, but if you can't see it, is it real? Is the wind real? This is what the scripture uses as an example. Do you feel the wind? Yes. Do you see the effects of it? Yes. How can that not be true for the spiritual? You can't deny it. And we think about the immensity of God and the fact that he exists everywhere. It's that same concept. In other words, you can't see the spiritual. You don't understand the spiritual. You're trying to understand the spiritual. Well, part of that reality is the fact that God is everywhere. He's everywhere. By the way, that means that you can feel his presence anywhere because he is everywhere. Does this make sense? Do you sometimes feel God's presence more than others? I mean, I think most people would say yes, that's true. Like sometimes you don't feel God's presence. We see, who do we see? David writes about this in the Psalms, right? He writes about this a bunch. E, lo, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, are with me. Right? He feels God's presence in those bad times when he's fleeing for his life. And yet other times we see, God, where are you? Where's your presence? It's the best example we see of someone crying out because they don't feel God's presence. Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Didn't feel his presence. He was still there, wasn't he? You don't feel his presence sometimes. Is he still there? Is he not there as much? He's still there. That's comforting. We should feel comforting. Because God's immensity means he is everywhere with you all the time, no matter if you feel like it or not. You should be comforted with the fact that he's there. He sees what's happening. He knows what's happening. He actually is in control of what's happening. Pantheism, we talked about this. The force concept is the belief that God is in all things, and all things are God. But God created the universe out of nothing, not out of himself. He is not limited to the physical realm of our creation. God is in everything, and everything is in God. But God is not everything. In other words, pantheism would be that God is creation. Then how did God create creation if he is creation? That's kind of a basic, simple problem with pantheism. There is no place or measure of time that contains him, 
within its boundaries. So we talked about time in, in, uh, at least a couple of times, and uh, that time does not constrain him as either because he is outside of this. His immensity is beyond time. That's a difficult concept. Difficult concept. Man is still trying to explain time. You don't understand that that's like a current thing. Like that we're trying to define how time works. And you've heard frequently of references, not anything to do with this subject, but you've heard people refer to the timeline, right? And what is that? Well, it's just looking at events in the sequence that they occurred or will occur or whatever. That's a timeline, right? So we've got timelines back there on the wall. New Testament timeline, when the different books of the Bible were written. We've got a timeline on the nation of Israel and what happened at different times. Over there, we've got a creation timeline, right, compared to the evolution timeline. So we talk about timelines all the time. So in our thinking, and this is where we have the greatest difficulty, man thinks time is linear. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, it goes in a line. It goes from the past to the present, and then we'll go to the future. Time exists in a line, linear. But theorists today are suggesting maybe time is not linear. Maybe time exists continuously, simultaneously. <laughs> that almost sounds biblical. Because God does not see time in a linear. He does not have to remember what happened to Abraham. He sees what's happening to Abraham at the same time as he sees what's happening to you. He's outside time. See, the concept of man trying to come up with this, this idea of maybe time is not linear is because they want to do something. What do they want to do? All the theorists that are working on time, what do they want to do? Does anybody have a guess? They want to travel through time. They want to travel to the future. They want to travel to the past. So to do that, they have to come up with an understanding of how time actually works. So will they be able, at some point, to create a time machine that would move from one place in time to another place in time? No. Why? That's God. That's beyond our physical ability. Built in. Never happened. Can't happen. Sorry, Marty McFly. It's not going to happen. That was a back to the future. The quantum realm. What about the quantum realm? Non-existent. Not true. But it's entertaining. His omnipresence means that he sees every action and knows every thought and directly reflects his characteristic as omniscient or all-knowing. So, there's a funny line in a movie called Groundhog Day where... Bill Murray's character claims that he is a god, not the god, but a god. And he knows everything about everyone in the town. How do you know this? I've just been here long enough. Yeah, but how could you know what's happening today? I've been through this day over and over and over again. That's the concept of Groundhog Day. But he makes the comment, maybe... God doesn't know everything. He's just been around so many times, he knows exactly what's going on. He's not far off. That quote is not far off. 
It's not because God's been around so long. He is omniscient. He knows all things. But he is seeing everything happen simultaneously at the same time. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what did happen at the same time. That's a little baffling, isn't it? See, he knew this cord was going to be plugged in before I got here this morning. But he also knew it at the same time I was plugging it in. He knew it last week. Not because he could predict the future, but because he saw it being plugged in at the same time that he saw it having a problem. (laughs) Mind-blowing. As believers, through Christ, we strive to live in harmony with God in our environment. God is angry with the wicked, and everything in in his universe is working toward his plans. So, the bottom line is, is that beyond all of these things that are confusing for us to dwell on, that's not what we should be dwelling on. We should be dwelling on the fact that God has us in this environment where we have to go through linear time. He has us in this physical realm. This is where he wants us to be. This is where his plans are for us to be. And we should just obey him and trust him. Because look, he knows what's going to happen. And he's in control of what's going to happen. And he's seeing it at the exact same time that he sees us right now, not even knowing it's coming. We should feel way more content than we do. Way more content. Why? Because God is in control of it all. It was not a surprise. He already planned it out. That's what's going to happen. And we should just accept the fact that even though it's not what we expected, it's what God expected. It's his. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like that when my car slides off the road and I hit a tree. Well, change your attitude. Sorry. But the reality is, you couldn't have stopped yourself from hitting the tree. Why? Because God planned it. And he is in all things and in control. Could God have stopped your car from sliding off the road? Yeah. Could God have caused the ice not to be there, the deer not to run in front of you, the tree not to be there? All those things, right? Yeah. But we work ourselves up. We forget about who God is. unbelievable it's fantastic scary as believers through christ i'm sorry i read that all right so let's look at a few verses the ones that are in the confession are of course next to number seven there and that is first kings 8 27 and jeremiah 23 23 those are simple i'll read them first kings uh 8 27 but with but will god indeed dwell on the earth behold the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee how much less this house I have that I have built it. In other words, God is immense. He's beyond heaven. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? God is both at hand and afar off. He is everywhere. Then let's look at some additional. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high 
and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Where does God dwell in eternity? Acts 17.28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For in him, notice, for in him we live and move and have our being. God is everywhere. No matter what we do, we are in his presence. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's revealed from heaven. Is God's wrath occurring in heaven? No, it's, it's actually occurring on earth and more coming. Seems like every day there's going to be more wrath coming. At any rate, Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good for them, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, which, of course, is what we are to be doing. We are to trust that God is in charge. He is controlling everything. And it's going to work out the way he wants it to work out. All right. God is eternal. So God has no beginning or end of his existence. He does not, nor will he change his state of existence. He does not age, neither is he young or old. Now, uh, this, again, should be like a, like a no-brainer, right? Well, if he's always existed and he existed outside of time, then he doesn't age, right? He's not old new, whatever. Time is his creation, and he is not limited by nor dwelling within it. He has no duration to be measured by it. He is above and beyond time. He's above and beyond time. So that means that essentially he is outside of time, like we talked about, right? So we have no reference to God's uh, passage of time like we think of it. He's outside of it, sees it all together. God uses time to reveal himself and will to and his will to man and uses time to represent eternity to his creatures. He is outside of it. So what will our existence be like in regards to time after the new heaven and new earth come into existence? It will be without time, we believe. Does the Bible say specifically it will be without time? No. We do see some references to things that appear like time. But again... The references could be so that we understand them, not because that's the reality of it. It is difficult for us to think through this concept, is it not? Look, if you think about this, uh, is there anybody from the Bible, besides Christ, that you would like to talk to? That you'd like to meet? Maybe you'd like to ask them what happened? What was it like? How did you feel? You inspired me? Whatever. Is there anybody... Does everybody not have something? I mean, is there anybody that says, no, there's nobody really I could care? No. No. Nobody would say this. It's true, right? There's somebody you'd like to, you'd like to, well, I really want to meet Paul or Peter or Moses or Adam or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or who? Shamgar. Shamgar. <laughs> or any other obscure individual you can think of. Right? So, would, would you like to meet them? You would, right? And you'd like to have a conversation with them. But is it actually going to be like that? Huh. We don't know. How are you going to know who they are? Are we going to all have, hello, my name is? Changar? 
Abraham, right? Are you going? Are you gonna, or are you just going to know? That's Abraham. We don't know. Interesting to think about, isn't it? We don't know. Will there be things that happen just like all the time you're conversing with people, or will it be like time, like we experience now? Except there's no time. So you start chatting with Moses, and he tells you his entire life. And it didn't get dark. There was no night. The sun didn't set. There is no sun. You think you're going to get hungry? You're not going to be able to keep doing talking? Hmm. Are we going to eat? Hmm. We think we are. I'm hoping we are. There's a few things that I think are little tidbits of what's going to be. Oh, those Cinnabon Delights at Taco Bell. I don't know if you ever had them. I think those are angelic. Chick-fil-A? I don't know. Maybe. Think of your favorite. Think cheesecakes are going to be that. Key lime pie pie. At any rate, uh, <laughs> we think that, but we don't know for sure, right? We don't really know. Because this whole concept of time makes it difficult for us to grasp what the existence will be like. Right? Like, if you wanted to cross from one part of heaven to another part of heaven, do you walk? Or do you just teleport? Like, you just think it and you're there? Or is that because you actually did walk, but time doesn't mean anything, so it's just like you're there now? (laughs) We don't know. We don't know. John's vision. The elders, 24 seats, special seats, right? Cast their crowns at Jesus' feet, right? You see this? Revelation. That sounds like time. He witnessed this in time. But the reality is, John could only have witnessed what he understood. The vision that he has is not necessarily that he was taken into that very moment and sees it. It could have just been that it was a vision that was given to him in a method, in a way that he would be able to comprehend and describe in the Scripture. Or, (laughs) is it possible that at that moment, God took him out of time into a place where he could see what was going to be, but had not happened yet in our reality? Could very well be. That he actually saw these different things because suddenly he was out of time. You don't hear these things preached about too often. And that's because, first of all, it's difficult concepts. Would we agree on that? These are difficult concepts to think through. But the other reason is, is that most of it is guessing. It's guessing. And we don't want to get too far down that path where that's what we're trying to focus on. When we talk about the fact that God is eternal and he is outside of time, these are part of our understanding of that, or thinking through this to understand the concept that God is outside of time, that there's this reality that's outside of time. That's kind of as far as we need to go. Right? Like, you don't want to be having a time discussion to confuse sharing the gospel. Are you with me on that? Like, you're going to take people down the wrong path if you transition into discussing eternality. 
That's, that's not the gospel. That's part of God's word, and in that part, that way, it is part of the gospel. But the true gospel of Jesus Christ is defined in the New Testament. That's not part of it. Okay, two scripture references to this. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. A prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And then Daniel 7, 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like a fire, the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Now that's very interesting as well. What are his wheels? Is that he was in a wheelchair? What are we, <laughs> what are we talking about? Is it his feet? Uh, we don't know that. We just know this is very descriptive language that he's using here. Uh, in the book of Daniel to talk about this, in the ancient of days, it's a reference to God. If there's anyone that we can say is ancient, it would be God, because he existed before time, except he's not in time, so he's not old. Are you working on that? It's a reference for us to concept, understand the concept that he is the one who existed since before the beginning. Okay. God is incomprehensible. Well, <laughs> all the things we've been talking about kind of are pointing to that, aren't they? <laughs> that it's almost incomprehensible to understand these concepts. So although God can be known can be known truly, he cannot be known completely. Are you with me on that? So we can truly know God. We can understand who he is from his word. We can understand what he expects of us, all those things. But we can't completely know him. Why? It's, just, it's beyond our ability to understand. It's incomprehensible to us. We can only know God within the limits of our human reasoning, which can never be comprehensive or complete knowledge, right? So we can't fully grasp it. Why? Because we are stuck in these bodies and brains. It's beyond us. We don't understand it fully. You with me? Okay. By the way, do you remember when Paul... Got rocked to sleep. Stoned to death, same thing. Anyway, when Paul got stoned, and he died, and he was taken to heaven, and he came back. Do you recall this? And they asked him, what was it like? And he said, I can't tell you. Now the implication is, not that he was forbidden from telling them, it's that he couldn't describe it. He couldn't tell him because he couldn't explain it. What he saw was beyond his ability to explain. Now, that is what we're talking about. The existence, think about the way that the Spirit had to inspire John when he writes the book of Revelation, right? Now, early on, the church truly believed that everything described by John as happening at the end times was exactly the way that it looked. That there literally were beings that looked like scorpions. They had, well, they had the tail of a scorpion. They had the head of a lion, right? They had claws, talons, wings of eagles. You recognize these? It's an apocalypse beast. This is described by John, also described by Daniel, by the way. But... The church thought 
that that's exactly what was going to, there was going to be these things that were going to be flying around. And there could be. There could be. But if you were looking at a spaceship that was unlike anything you'd ever seen in your life, how would you describe that? So how would John describe a, an attack helicopter? He doesn't even understand that that thing at the top are propeller blades spinning. He wouldn't know that. He wouldn't know why it makes noise. He wouldn't know what that fire was that's shooting out of it. His experience is not with any mechanism of any type. He would not have seen that. He wouldn't have any comprehension. He would describe it in a way that people would understand. Why? He couldn't fully comprehend what he was viewing. And this is not just true for that, but it's true in many things. Is that actually a reference to some kind of flying craft? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Some things are incomprehensible to us. God is incomprehensible to us. We can learn about him from his word, but a lot of what we actually believe about God is based on his word, but it's what we, we see it as. Right? Tell, tell me you haven't thought of God. Maybe you didn't think of his face, but you thought of this really tall guy, big, like giant big, sitting on a big golden throne, white robes flowing down, right? And little people under the throne. You ever had that picture in your mind? Come on, some of you had that picture in your mind. Yeah. Where do you get that? Well, from passages like the one I just read, right? You picture this. Well, that's why it's there. So that we can have a picture of it. We can have an idea of it. But it doesn't actually accurately describe it because, it, because the comprehension of this is beyond their ability. The Holy Spirit has to give them words that they can write that everyone, since when it was written till today and the future, would understand a concept of what they're talking about. Is God actually in physical form sitting on a throne? He is not in physical form. So is he truly sitting on a throne? We don't know. We know the scripture talks about it, but it could be that it is pictures that for us to understand. Could it be that he's just an exalted higher place? Could be. What's he look like? We don't know. Could he take a form for us to see him as a giant? Yes, he could. Yes, he could. He's taken many forms. Could he just be a cloud of light? He could. Could he be a fire? He could. He's appeared these ways. He could appear that way again. It's only for us to get our minds around it. It is not because God wants us to know exactly what he looks like. He doesn't want us to know exactly what that's going to look like in the future because we are not able to comprehend it. He's beyond our comprehension. He's using human terms in the scriptures so that we have a feeling for an understanding of the basics of what is happening or what's going to happen or what it's going to look like, but we're not fully comprehending it. You with me on this? Okay. We are incapable of knowing God by our own abilities. Only God can aid us with divine revelation, his word, and illumination, his spirit. Now this is 
talked about in the scripture in numerous scenes. I think I've got a couple of scripture quotes here for to read to you, but the concept is, is that as believers, first of all, we understand things in the scripture that unbelievers don't. Many, many things in the scripture unbelievers do not understand. Why? Because they do not have the spirit to illuminate us. We do. They don't. They can have his word. They can have a Bible. Jenny's taking a course, I think, next semester at school, or maybe it's the fall, on literature in the Bible. So they're studying the Bible for poetry, actually. Well, their comprehension of what they're reading is limited because they don't have the Spirit, right? So greater spiritual lessons that they see in the Scripture, they're not going to see. You know, they're not going to see those. Does that make sense? They can't. Why? They don't have the Spirit. Because of our infinite nature, we can never fully comprehend the infinite Creator. That should be finite. Because of our finite nature, we can never fully understand the, understand the infinite Creator. And keep in mind, of course, that your existence now will go on. So you will have a much better understanding. But you'll never have the same understanding as God. Almost goes without saying, I think. Modern theology substitute God's unknowability for God's incomprehensibility. Now what does that mean? What's the difference here? Hmm. Let me make sure you understand the difference here. God's, just the words, unknowability. In other words, we can't know all of God for his incomprehensibility. We can't comprehend it. Now that teaches that man cannot know God at all. That he cannot reveal himself to us because he is wholly other. And we live in a universe closed to any revelation from God. You see where that goes? That goes to deism. That's what that is. Now, I have never come across anybody or any churches that actually say, or any people that say, yeah, I'm a practicing deist today. They use other terms. They use other terms for themselves. But this is deism. And that is this concept that there is a God, but he doesn't reveal himself in creation because he's on a different existence, a plane of existence. He can't. We can't know anything about him, which means that the Bible isn't the Bible. Why? Because he can't. there's no way for us to have any concept of this, and he wouldn't reveal himself because he's in a different plane of existence. See how dangerous that is? You know what that means? That means nothing. If you say that there is a God, but we can't know anything about him because we're in this plane of existence and he's in a different plane of existence, he doesn't reveal himself, there's no way for us to know God at all, how do you know? How do you know that's true? Uh, wait a minute. How would you know there is a God if we can't know God at all? You don't. You don't. Now you're either making a guess or you're taking some basic truths of Scripture and then you're just trying to wipe out the rest that basically dictate how you should live. That's really what it comes down to. God is incomprehensible because he is infinitely glorious and therefore cannot be understood by finite humans. He is unfathomable. In other words, we can't know the depth of his being and knowledge, but in his, by his own self-revelation, he is knowable. We can know him through his Son and by his Spirit through the Scriptures. That's how we know God. So let's look at a few of those Scriptures. 
Romans 11.33, O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is beyond us. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And I would say, look, as good as you are at whatever you have, you're rich, you are wise, you are strong. In all of those areas, don't glory in that because you're still not God. You're not God. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent. Okay, we'll have to pause there, right at the perfect time, to go on our next point next week, which is God is almighty. So let's close in a word of prayer.